On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Before this podcast begins, I just want to say that this interview and episode was recorded and produced prior to learning of the very sad news that Moody Blues legendary drummer Graham Edge had sadly passed away, aged 80. Graham's bandmates, Justin Hayward and John Lodge, both took to social media to share kind words about their dear friend, with Justin saying, In the late 1960s we became the group that Graham always wanted it to be, and he was called upon to be a poet as well as a drummer. He delivered that beautifully and brilliantly, while creating an atmosphere and setting that the music would never have achieved without his words. While this episode's guest, John Lodge also said this, To me, Graham was the White Eagle of the North, with his beautiful poetry, his friendship, his love of life, and his unique style of drumming that was the engine room of the Moody Blues. I will miss you, Graham. Graham was a co-founder of the group, right from the earliest incarnation with Denny Lane, and part of the group that had the UK number one single, Go Now. He remained ever-present when the changes happened which saw Justin and John join the group and the band going on to bigger and better things, ultimately culminating with his and the band's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. As I said, this episode and interview you're about to hear mentions Graham fondly and I'll stress was recorded and produced prior to the sad news of his passing. Graham Edge, drummer, songwriter, poet and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer passing away at his home in Florida on the 11th of November, 2021, aged 80. I had an inner glow, because this is this kid from the council house in Birmingham, playing in bomb shelters and all that after the war. I'm standing in the same room as Buddy Holly, shoulder to shoulder. And I thought, wow. We knew that we'd done something totally different to what anyone else had done, and that was the excitement. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now, on this week's show, we have another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. The big names just keep coming. This is our 10th Hall of Famer on the series to date. Now, today's guest is the wonderful John Lodge, part of the legendary group, the Moody Blues, along with the core lineup of Justin Hayward, Graham Edge, Mike Pinder, and Ray Thomas. Now, the Moody Blues helped to usher in the concept album with their epic Days of Future Past in 1967. Made prog a commercially successful thing, you could really argue. But that's not to limit them to just one genre. Their music evolved and endured as well as any others, and between the UK, US and Canada have been certified platinum 18 times, as far as I can see, with sales of more than 70 million records since the 60s, which is pretty phenomenal by anyone's standards. They were finally inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018 by Hartlead singer Ann Wilson. 
As for John himself, he's won numerous awards, ASCAP awards for his songwriting, an Ivor Novello Award for Outstanding Contribution to Music, was given the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Prog Awards and was inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame as well. So a real legend, and I'm really looking forward to you hearing this chat with him. Quickly first, though, my usual shout-out to some people. A big hello and thank you to Joey Michaud, uh, Marcus Dunwell, Joe Robinson, Phil Gallagher and Lily Menkoy. It's great to hear from you all on social media. If you haven't already, please do check us out on the likes of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, that kind of thing, especially YouTube, even if you don't use it much. Just hit the subscribe button. It's getting me towards that monetization stage now. Anyway, just search for Vintage Rock Pod on all those sorts of channels and give us a like, a follow, a subscribe, that sort of thing. You can also check out the website as well, which is vintagerockpod.com, where you can find lots of other information and the little form on the front page where you can become a VRP VIP, where you get a newsletter no more than once a week. I tend not to send out too many lately because I'm really busy, but uh, you do get to hear about certain things first and you get a chance to win things and you get your chance to put questions to future guests as well. So just go to vintagerockpod.com and sign up on the first page. Anyway, let's get on to it then. Please enjoy my chat with Moody Blues legend, John Lodge. Now I'm delighted to welcome a singer, songwriter and bass playing legend, part of a group who sold more than 70 million records in a career spanning more than 50 years. It's my pleasure to welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, a rock and roll hall of famer, the legend that is John Lodge from the Moody Blues. Hi, John. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm uh, good, thank you. I'm good indeed, thank you. Now, before we start the interview, I just want to say that we were actually chatting about you, me and a guest just a couple of weeks ago, an old friend of yours, a guy called Bev Bevan, because you worked on his and Joy's uh, album Quill, didn't you, really recently? Yes, I did. That was great to uh, work with Bev again. Uh, really good. Uh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the record, uh, the song, and uh, I wish him good luck with the uh, Riding Rainbows album. Yeah. Um, now, we mentioned Bev and, and working on his new album, which leads us nicely to uh, your new album. You've got a new album out called The Royal Affair and After. It's a live album. It, speech, it features special guests as well, and it's out on December the 3rd. Now, tell us, John, tell us a bit about The Royal Affair and After. Well, I I was uh, invited to uh, go on the Royal Affair tour across America in 2019 with, yes, uh, Cole Palmer as well from Birmingham and uh, the uh, the amazing world of Arthur Brown, you know, and uh, it was a fantastic tour. We did about 35 concerts across America. And uh, during that period, John Davidson uh, from Yes, the singer Yes, um, he joined me on stage for Ride My Cecil for my uncle. And I joined Yes on stage for Imagine uh, for their uncle. So I recorded um, the, the show at Las Vegas. And then after that tour, I went on tour um, in America on my own. And I asked Graham Edge, the drummer of the Moody's, he would record the poem from Days of Future Park. Because yep. I said I wanted to play that on stage with him actually talking. Uh, it would be the first time he's ever did the uh, vocal, the voice on that poem. So he recorded that. And when I recorded that concert as well, I thought, well, great idea, put the both together and release um, an album. Uh, so I was working on that last year and COVID hit. 
<laughs> so like everyone else, we was sort of uh, still working away on that, but it, it was files flying all over the place, you know. And um, eventually, about uh, springtime of this year, I managed to get all the parts together and all the artwork and everything else. And um, yeah, and so here it is, the Royal Affair and after, you know, uh, I'm very pleased with it because it's a statement of, I'm trying to keep the Moody Blues music alive and Moody Blues aren't touring anymore. So there's a song on there for Ray Thomas, of course, a song of Mike Pinders. And John joined me on stage uh, now to sing um, Night in White Saturday, you know, because it's a song that had been playing all, all my life, you know. Uh, I wanted to play that as well. I didn't want to sing it, and uh, John wanted to, so it, it was a great, fantastic tour, and I'm doing it again next year in America, and hopefully come to Britain next year, you know, hopefully in Scotland. Yes. Get the agents to say, come on, you know, everywhere. I mean, uh, I, um, when I think about Scotland, uh, I used to tour there, Dumfries, Drill Hall. Wow. Uh, the Red Shoes at Algin. We, we'd be delighted for you to come back to Scotland, absolutely. Um, but just touching on this album still, I mean, it comprises of... Uh, some of your incredible works as well with the Moody Blues, some of your classics. I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band and Gemini Dream and Isn't Life Strange? And and like you said, Ride My Seesaw, it was your encore, wasn't it? And that song has actually been released. There's a nice video for it. So if anybody's wanting to check out the sound or the energy or the feel for this record, then uh, definitely go online now because you can see that song with yourself and John, can't you? Absolutely. Um, what, what I try to do, you know, in the Moody's we've always had a flute uh, playing in the band. And for my band, I wanted to reproduce the same notes, but I wanted it more on cello because I wanted to add uh, more energy from make my band slightly different to the Moody's, but still the same music uh, and with the same intention, you know. And I think that comes across actually in the uh, live recording. Uh, I'm very pleased with it. Fantastic stuff. And we can check that all out on johnlodge.com. It's your website where you can see all the stuff that you're up to, all your updates, it's all your videos, all your music, the shop's on there and everything. So I urge everyone to, to check that out there, johnlodge.com. Now, as you said, you're, you're passionate about keeping the, the music of the Moody Blues alive. And I've got to ask you about the induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 2018. It was Anne Wilson who inducted you guys. I mean, fantastic person to induct you, shall we say. I mean, how special did it feel to be finally inducted? We have to say that. But the fact that you're there alongside such legends of music. Uh, it was strange, actually, because up until the day, it didn't seem that special. It was special. It didn't seem that special, you know, uh, in a strange way. I, I suppose it, being British going to a, an American um, system, you know, so perhaps that was it, I don't know. But just before I went on stage, they asked me what my speech, what I was going to say. And I said, well, I don't write speeches. I just say what I feel there and then. And when I got on stage... Uh, receiving the uh, presentation and when Anne was doing all the talking, I realised all these people at the audience who'd come to see us artists 
And they're fans. And I thought, how special is that? You know, it really, and he sent a little shiver down my spine, thinking there's people all over the world watching this show. And that's what I had to say, you know, uh, it's your award as well, all the fans out there throughout the world, giving us the backbone to keep playing our music and writing music. But also what I haven't, well, on, the, on stage, I, I had an inner glow because this is John Lodge, this kid from the council house in Birmingham, playing in bomb shelters and all that after the war. I'm standing in the same, you know, rumours, buddy, always shoulder to shoulder. And I thought, wow, <laughs> nobody could believe this. Everybody said, what would you dream like, be like to be in the future? You could never, ever have thought of that, ever. Absolutely. And uh, you talk about what you, what you could have dreamed of when you were younger. It was, it's quite interesting looking back because the Moody Blues had already had a number one before you joined them because you, you went off to college, didn't you? You didn't want to break your college course. You you stayed at college, you, you saw it through, you graduated, and then you got a call from Ray, who you'd already been in a band with, him and Mike, and, and Ray says, have you finished your college yet? Are you going to come and join us? <laughs> That's exactly what happened, yeah. He said, hey, Rocker, have you finished college yet? And I said, Yes, I've just finished. He said, get down to London then. And, and that was it. I went down to London, uh, met Justin, and um, that was it. And I, I think the official uh, announcement didn't come to the November. Uh, it was like June uh, 66, and uh, who could see what was going to happen? <laughs> Indeed. And we've got to talk about Days of Future Past as well. I mean, groundbreaking, life-changing, not just for you and the band, but the industry as well. I mean, the story is originally the record label wanted you to record a classical piece of music, didn't they, to, to display the stereo capabilities of their record players. But you guys, you didn't want to just kind of record over a Vorjak's piece, I think it was. You had something already boiling under, didn't you? You had a stage show of songs that you were kind of putting together and working out, and then all of a sudden this album came, and it was only a week or so that you took to record this album. Yeah, um, we, we were working on a stage show because obviously we were covering a lot of American songs before that, like everyone does. Mm -hmm. You learn from other people. And um, we've never been to America. <laughs> How can we sing about the blues and the Delta and all this? So uh, we started to write our own stage show. And when Decker approached us um, to uh, make this album with the orchestra, the arranger was a guy called, beautiful man called Peter Knight. And he came to see us and said, well, why do you want to uh, record something which you didn't write why not re record your own songs and that's what we did we said well we'll have a 24-hour lockout in the studio so no one could know what was going on uh, and we recorded uh basically a stage show uh, and uh, that was it um, but i remember the, the playback on the friday night we had girlfriends and friends came along and a couple of people from the record uh, company and we played the record in the dark. And when the record finished, it was, I think it was quiet um, because that's the first time any of us actually had heard what we'd been creating. We all knew our own parts, of course, but when you hear the whole thing together, 
when it's mixed by Derek Varnels and Tony Clark, our engineer and producer, it was like, what on earth have we done? And uh, we said, play it again. And they played it again. And uh, after that, everyone stood up and applauded. And it was very emotional. We never thought about if it was going to be a hit record. We knew that we'd done something totally different to what anyone else had done. And that was the excitement, you know, from that. Absolutely. And people talk about that album as being uh, the groundbreaking movement for, for the likes of Prague and for concept albums and things like that. And uh, we have to mention the, the the big song from that as well. It's, it's his iconic Nights in White Satin. Now, can you remember how you felt the first time you heard that go all the way through? Well, the first time we heard that was actually, um, as I said earlier, we knew all knew our own parts, but we never heard it as a whole. Uh, but we went in the BBC and recorded it on uh, uh, for the BBC on a two-track machine, and they went into control room afterwards to listen to the playback, and we all looked at each other and went, "Wow!" <laughs> and uh, that was the first time we uh, actually heard it. Uh, but when we went in the studio and re-recorded it as a studio record and heard the playback it was just we couldn't wait to let everyone else hear it because again it was so different you know you know this waltz type tempo uh and suddenly you have these high harmonies coming in from everywhere and then the mike laying these incredible lines on the mellotron then, then halfway through, the flute solo comes in. And uh, I think uh, it was a special type of record. And uh, I think we played it to Tom Jones first. Tom was in the same studio, well, in another studio, but in the same building. And we went, Tom, come and listen to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happy days. Absolutely. And it, it's one of those enduring classics, isn't it? It kept popping up in the charts as well. It obviously came out in 67 and 72. It recharted. It charted in 79, 2010 again in the UK. It charted again in 2013 across Europe. I mean, it is literally just one of those classic songs that everybody knows and everybody loves. Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful song. Uh, I remember Justin playing it to me. We all lived in uh, a Victorian mansion on the Bayswater Road opposite the uh, Russian Embassy. And I remember going in Justin's flat and Justin played the song and uh, he knew it was right. On magic in the straightaway. Magic indeed. Now, there was magic in the Moody Blues as well. You had an incredible run of records following that one. Your next eight albums in the UK alone all went top 10, three of them number ones, proving the brilliance within the band to, to evolve and to continue making great music. Now, what do you think was it within the band and the chemistry and within the group that made Moody such a great songwriting team for such a long time? I, I think what it was, we all supported each other. Uh, and if if somebody had written a song, we used to sit around a little coffee table and one of us would play a song. And if you decided you wanted to play to the rest of the guys, that was it. It was going to be done. There was no ifs or buts about it. And everybody would then say, 
well, I'd like to play that. I would like to play that. And we built, used to build the song up basically around this coffee table. And it, it gave everyone the strength of other guys uh, around you adding to it. And when it was their turn, you'd do the same for them. And uh, that's how it worked every time. And we never argued about it, you know. We worked all together as a one cohesive band, you know. The five of us individually became the Moody Blues. And you, it was a Moody Blues, what was the nucleus of the band, not, not just us as individuals. Fantastic. And if you don't mind talking about one of the individuals, just a few words on, on, on your, your old time friend and, and creative partner, uh, Justin. I mean, just talk to us about Justin for a bit. <laughs> uh, instantly became friends, instantly became musical friends as well. He came from a different place to me. He came from a, a more uh, folk place. And I came from Birmingham Heavy Engineering Energy. But it worked. When he played a riff on his guitar, I could work out what I think were the bass parts to that. And that's how we used to work in the studio. It just worked. And, uh, you know, and we uh, also, as a Moody's, even when we had, we played to massive arenas in America, we all shared uh, rooms in hotels. And Justin and I shared... It was really good to do that because you could still keep that empathy uh, and the creative part going because you could say at a concert, you know, when we do that, we should do this as well. And uh, that's what happened. Uh, it was a great time. And it was a great time for us both to explore not just music, places as well, you know. I remember... We landed in San Francisco and played the Fillmore West there. And we hired a Mustang convertible and drove down the Pacific Coast Highway to Los Angeles. Took a few days doing that. And it was a great part of growing up together. Absolutely. And you, you talk about driving down the, the highway in San Francisco and things like that. And two guys from England, that's, that is just a dream, really. It's an absolute dream. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, John. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with uh, the new album that's coming out in uh, in December the 3rd. And uh, I hope everything goes well for you. Thank you, Paul. I hope to see you in, in Venice next year. Indeed, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> So there you go, John Lodge there, such a nice guy. Definitely check out that new recording of Ride My Seesaw and pre-order the new album as well. Check out johnlodge.com for all the information you need. Now it's the time of the show to give you my top five songs from this week's guest. Remember, this is my personal choice. I don't claim it to be the definitive list. It is very subjective and hopefully can open the doors for anyone who may not be overly familiar with the person in question. So here we go. My favourite five songs from the Moody Blues, according to Vintage Rock Pod. Number five is the opening track from their 1970 album, A Question of Balance, an upbeat number with a brilliant incessant bass line. It remains their second highest charting single in the UK, reaching number two in the charts. At number five is Question. Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? With a thousand million questions about hate and death and war. Is where 
At four is a track from the 1971 album Every Good Boy Deserves Favour. A big hit in the US, it was the last Moody Blues single to feature the Mellotron. There you go. And number four is The Story in Your Eyes. Oh, when the final line is over And it's certain that the curtain's gonna fall I can hide inside Three is one of John's, a track they played at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction and one he uses as his encore on his tours too. It's beaty and fast and frenetic and is the first song on the 1968 album In Search of the Last Chord. And number three for me is Ride My Seesaw. At number two is another John Lodge song and another upbeat track that drives along at a frenetic pace. Comes from their seventh studio album called Seventh Sojourn in 1972. So at number two is I'm Just a Singer in a Rock and Roll Band. And at number one, it has to be the legendary, iconic, classic hit that still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end when I hear it. It's incredibly well produced and arranged, beautiful lyrics and so much more. From the famous Days of Future Past album, the number one Moody Blues song according to Vintage Rock Pod is Nights in White Satin. Just what the truth is, I can't say anymore, cause I love you. So there you go, my favourite five songs from the Moody Blues. As ever, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Where do you agree, disagree? Just drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com. Well, that's it for this week's show then. If it is your first listen, then make sure to follow or subscribe to this series on whatever podcast platform you use so you don't miss any at all. Episodes usually released every Monday with a big name guest on each show. We've had 10 Rock and Roll Hall of Famers on so far and we're only at episode 46. So, until the next one, then remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock just tell them my music is better than yours take care achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> I'm in 
From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.